Welcome to the G2 on 5G, the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We deliver six topics in 15 minutes or less. It's all brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, Senior Analyst, Networking Infrastructure and Carrier Services. And joining me is Anshul Sag, uh, Analyst covering everything AR, VR, and 5G as well. You may be wondering why we're wearing tinfoil today. We'll get into that in a moment, but let's get started. My first topic this week, uh, the Open RAN Policy Coalition. So this was announced this week, and it is focused on accelerating the adoption of Open RAN. This is actually really important because there's a lot of scrutiny around supply chain and the, um, the ability to, to find domestic sources for supply chain in light of concerns about other nefarious countries around the world. Um, there are, there's a who's who of participants in this, um, Intel, Cisco, Samsung Networks. And from my perspective, I believe it's really gonna drive uh, the adoption of, uh, of open radio access network technology. Uh, it's super disruptive from both a CapEx and an OpEx perspective, in my opinion. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion in, in Washington um, around this and, um, and I think also there's an opportunity to, to further de the deployment velocity within rural networks. So I don't know, Angel, do you have any, uh, any input on this topic? Well, I think some people might not understand what Open RAN is or particularly how it rel it's relevant to 5G. So I think it might be helpful if you kind of, you know, elucidate why Open RAN matters to 5G specifically. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's, it's basically leveraging open source and um, standard server, you know, computing technology and storage technology uh, versus uh, what, what I refer to as sort of purpose-built infrastructure from the likes of the traditional infrastructure providers and Nokia and Ericsson and Samsung as well. Uh, you know, I, I like the fact that, you know, Samsung is embracing this. I think some of the other, you know, what I call big infrastructure providers have been less inclined to want to go get behind it uh, because it, it really disrupts, you know, what they've been doing from a purpose-built perspective, as well as the services that they reap um, from, you know, working with operators around the world to deploy it. So a lot of them see it kind of as a threat to their existing business, but the reality is it potentially gives an opportunity for more competition, which in theory would help accelerate and potentially lower the cost of 5G deployments? Yeah, it will. It will from not only from a capital expenditure perspective, but, you know, if you can, you know, the management of, of uh, you know, open, you know, technology inherently is, is easier, right? And so it's much simple. It's much more, um, you know, it's, it's a much more direct way to kind of deploy, um, you know, technology in general. So I, I think, you know, not only will it be disruptive from just, you know, the overall, you know, uh, infrastructure cost perspective, but it's going to also lower that operating expense for the, uh, the carriers as well, because it's going to make it much easier for them to deploy this on, on their networks. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, I guess we'll move on to the next topic and, and the reason why uh, we're wearing these silly hats. That's right. Um, <laughs> so uh, we've actually gotten some, some listener requests already. Uh, and one of them is to cover some of the 5G conspiracies that um, have been circulating. Um, the big ones are, one, that 5G is dangerous 
fundamentally, mm -hmm. um, which has been proven to be untrue by numerous um, governmental agencies. Um, I actually wrote an entire introductory 5G uh, article on Forbes two months ago, um, partially because I was trying to educate the market, but also because I started hearing mumblings of some of these conspiracy theories um, and some of these uh, um, unfounded fears around 5G's danger. Um, the big thing is, is that um, a lot of people are afraid about 5G because there's the use of millimeter wave. And the problem is, is that millimeter wave uh, is a much higher frequency, um, but it's actually been tested by the US government as a non-lethal weapon. And they found that it barely even penetrates the skin. And mm -hmm. because of the, physic, the, 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 the you know, uh, physical uh, properties of millimeter wave technology, it doesn't penetrate very well anything, including skin or bone. So mm -hmm. it literally cannot give you cancer if it can't even get through your skin. Um, that's a fundamental physical aspect of millimeter wave. But the other thing is people are burning down 5G. Well, they're not even burning down 5G masts. They're burning down 4G masts, mm -hmm. thinking that they're 5G masts. And then they're burning them down, even though in that country don't even have millimeter wave. They just have like sub six 5G. And that's basically the, the reason why that's, that's insane is because, well, it's insane, but also because 5G in those countries is operating on the same bands as 4G is. Mm -hmm. So it, it really makes absolutely no sense um, why people are afraid of it other than they've been fed bad information. Yeah, um, Will, do you have anything to add? <laughs> yeah, no, I was going to add that, you know, you know, another recent conspiracy theory has been around a link to COVID-19. Oh, and yes. It's just, it, it's insane. I, I know you, you've tweeted on this as well. So why don't you provide some, you know, some, some color on that as well? Well, I, I mean, the, the, the theory is that um, COVID-19 is, was caused by uh, 5G radio waves, which originated in China except for the fact that 5G first launched in Korea and the U.S. and mm -hmm. then launched in China. Right. And U.S. And, and Korea have more 5G coverage than China have, has ever had. And, um, it, you know, it couldn't have originated in China if they didn't have 5G first. So that's another thing where just like the dates, the, the dates alone don't make any sense, let alone how a radio wave can influence your ability to get a virus. Um, mm -hmm. Some people seem to think that the radio waves, um, that the theory is that the radio waves penetrate your lungs and cause you to cough, which is insane. <laughs> but the thing is, is that once again, millimeter wave doesn't even penetrate through your skin. So there's no way it could even get to your lungs, even if by some miracle it could. It just, the physics of the radio waves don't allow that to happen. Yeah. At no, least from millimeter wave. So it's, it's, yeah. it's crazy. That's why we're wearing tinfoil hats. Um, <laughs> we hope to never have to talk about this again but it keeps cropping up and I have a feeling that um, it's not going to go away, but yeah. we hope yeah. that you read some of our stuff. Uh, I've got that article in Forbes. I've been sharing a lot. It's gotten a lot of traffic. Um, I go into a lot of depth and I link to some documents that are like real studies. So I highly recommend you check it out, but yeah. we should move on. Yeah, we should. Yeah. And I'll also say that I've posted quite a bit on Forbes as well. And talked about, you know, some of the concerns around that millimeter wave density, you know, that might be kind of causing some of these concerns, but yeah, let, 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 let's move on. So um, I participated this week in uh, IBM's Digital Think. So it was all online. I was actually very impressed with how IBM pulled this together. 
a combination of pre-recorded sessions, live keynotes. And the one thing that I was really struck with was, you know, this, this, you know, acquisition of Red Hat by IBM was announced in October of 2018. Uh, it was recently closed less than a year ago. And what I saw was, um, you know, an amazingly accretive um, process in bringing Red Hat into the IBM portfolio, very focused on, you know, telco um, grade solutions with an emphasis on telco cloud and also edge technology. So, um, there were several announcements that were made. I actually posted an article on Forbes earlier this week. Um, if you'll if you'll go um, hit my Twitter feed or my LinkedIn feed, you can read more about that. But really, what they're focused on is uh, is making uh, the management of uh, of cloudification easier and and also bringing blueprints uh, to operators to allow them to more easily deploy edge-enabled solutions. And this is super powerful when you look at the power of 5G. It delivers very, very low latency and very, very fast throughput. But we also have to realize that uh, data is being created at astronomical rates now. And when you can bring computing resources closer to the creation of data, um, you reduce the latency and you improve quality of service. And then you can unlock a number of transformative use cases. And so, um, all of the, the major carriers around the world are focused on edge. Um, I also recently published a uh, research paper on AT&T's efforts, mm -hmm. uh, particularly in, uh, in Israel at their foundry location on uh, bringing um, companies in that are focused on marrying edge uh, computing technologies with 5G. So Anshul, any, any input um, you know, with respect to what you're seeing here? Um, I, I think, you know, Edge is going to continue to become more, Edge and Edge Cloud are become more and more relevant as 5G starts to roll out and become more relevant. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, every big player in the cloud and Edge space is going to have to have uh, a coherent 5G strategy and be more upfront about how they're addressing 5G with their solutions. So yeah. um, it's good to hear that they're, you know, continuing to move forward and, and communicating, you know, their, their innovations in the space. Yeah, it should be exciting. I think it's going to unlock really transformative use cases when you look at um, manufacturing and robotics and autonomous driving and that sort of thing. So it's it's super exciting and, uh, you know, there's yet to be seen there. So well, let's shift. Your second topic is around, um, you know, open signal and, yeah. um, and, and a report that was recently published around um, 5G versus Wi-Fi. So why don't you take us through that? Yeah, so they basically publish a report with a, a graph that um, we'll link to in the description. Um, and we'll also have on our Twitter account and everywhere else you can see it. And um, basically it's comparing um, 4G, 5G and Wi-Fi speeds in the US, UK, Spain, Australia, Kuwait, Switzerland, South Korea, and Saudi Arabia, AKA places with 5G service. Mm -hmm. um, and they basically found that in every country except for the US, they have 5G, that's faster than Wi-Fi. Mm -hmm. um, to be fair, the US has among the fastest Wi-Fi speeds, but our 5G speeds are also significantly slower than yeah. all the places that have slower Wi-Fi and faster Wi-Fi. Right. So, um, you know, th there's a lot of things you can really glean from this other than the fact that the US is behind. But I think a big component of this is that all those countries that are listed are non-millimeter wave countries and mm -hmm. non-low band countries, 
Mm -hmm. So because of the way the bands have been distributed and the amount of spectrum that's available at this current moment and the coverage that exists, um, there just aren't that many customers on 5G in the mid-band in the U.S. just yet. And because of that, the average speed of 5G is way slower. It's actually closer to 4G um, and and it's below Wi-Fi. Um, and that's because we don't have mid-band like all those other countries do yet. So I think T-Mobile's acquisition of Sprint is going to really accelerate that. And by the end of the year, I have a strong feeling that the average 5G speed is going to be considerably higher than what we have on Wi-Fi because if you look at the other countries, they had 130, 150, 160, 180, 200, 224, and 291 for the 5G speeds. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, we have 52. And that tells me that most of the 5G tests being done, on at least on Open Signals platform, are probably being done on T-Mobile. Yeah. Um, and there aren't enough people on Verizon to test millimeter wave because there's almost nowhere to do it. And AT&T is kind of in a similar boat. They have very small deployments kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. So until... You know, I see end of this year, there's going to be a lot more people using the mid-band spectrum. And that, I think, will, will help improve the average speed of 5G. But I think the real story here is um, deploying in mid-band is the right solution for a lot of places, especially yeah. considering what they've got. But they are going to have coverage issues um, yeah. compared to having, you know, full low band, mid band and high band. So I think, I think this is an interesting thing to notice, but I think it's kind of a very short snapshot um, that I think will, will probably be solved long term. Um, mm-hmm. Cause you know, Verizon is going to deploy DSS um, and AT&T has got a lot of spectrum. They still have to deploy. So mm-hmm. um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how this changes over the course of the next six months. Uh, yeah. What do you think? No, no, I, I agree. And it's a trade-off, right, between propagation and throughput. And depending on the, the area of the spectrum that you're operating in, right, there's always going to be... All those countries are smaller than we are. Exactly, yeah. And then I think, I mean, I wanted to ask your opinion on this. So um, d- does the whole notion of standalone versus non-standalone factor into this as well? I don't think so. Um, I think standalone would affect latencies more than anything. Right. Um, I think if we were comparing latencies then I would say, yeah, but I don't think, I mean, standalone would help us on the high end of this, but in terms of like millimeter wave and performance, mm-hmm. like peak performance, but average, I don't think, I don't think it'll be that big of a difference because ultimately the amount of spectrum you have available and the back all you have is more impactful than whether you're running SA or, or NSA. I agree. Yeah. Great insights, buddy. Great. Yeah, so my third, my third topic for, uh, for this week is really kind of looking back at the earnings. So, um, you know, in the U.S., you know, all the carriers are somewhat synchronized. We saw earnings from AT&T and Verizon last week, um, generally positive, um, but both reported um, uh, sort of a muddied vision for the future given COVID-19. And in my mind, and in what they've reported as well, that's really around uh, new subscribers. But, right. uh, but, but again, you know, generally positive earnings from, from Verizon and AT&T. T-Mobile announced earnings yesterday. Uh, the, I call it the, you know, the magenta engine that continues to roll. Uh, for Q1, you know, nearly $9 billion in revenue. Uh, over three quarters of a million um, with, with respect to, um, you know, postpaid. Um, and, you know, and solid, solid financials all around. But at the same time, 
um, they issued, you know, some concern around future softness in the market. And, and that's really, you know, eight, you know, T-Mobile reported that 80% of their retail locations have been shuttered uh, during the pandemic, you know, that, that we've been experiencing for the last several weeks. And, you know, AT&T and Verizon as well. So they're not seeing a lot of new activations, but they're seeing, um, at least T-Mobile is seeing, and, and, I, and I think, you know, Verizon and AT&T reported pretty low churn. Uh, they're, they're holding on to their customers. And I think all three of uh, the big tier one carriers in the U.S. are doing a great job in making sure that they're putting the right resources in place to keep the networks uh, resilient and responsive given just the influx of people that are working from home now. I mean, do you have any, any additional insight there? Yeah, I think it's been really interesting to see how a lot of the carriers have responded um, to the crisis. Um, I think they've all kept us very up to date on you know, what their network load looks like, you know, how they're addressing almost daily, um, right? Yeah. Challenges. Yeah. Like daily. And I think it's good because one, they're, they're being transparent, which I appreciate. I think we always appreciate transparency. Um, but also they're helping us understand how much of a load is being put on their network that hasn't been in the past mm-hmm. and how they're dealing with it. And I think we can all say, at least in the U S the operators have done a very good job of handling um, the additional load. I don't feel like um, I've ever noticed my network speed being slowed or any of my content being delivered, you know, slowly, you know, I was in the hospital for, for nine days and I was pretty much living off my phone and I was getting 60, 70 megabits per second, which made watching videos and playing games and doing video calls and sending people photos way easier and way quicker than I could have ever imagined in a hospital. So mm-hmm. I, I really am thankful for what these carriers have done for us. And uh, I think they're doing a good job. Yeah, no, they, they've done a great job, not only from, you know, ensuring good quality of service, but the humanitarian sort of aspects as well. And, you know, I've, I've pointed to AT&T in the past that I think they've done an exceptional job in, you know, extending uh, business continuity services, you know, to, to the enterprise. Uh, but but I would but I would agree with you. I think you know all three carriers have done a phenomenal job ensuring that as consumers we're all very well connected and we have you know um, great um, great coverage. Um, so so let's shift you know to the final topic. Uh, we're going to toss it back to you, Anshul. And um, I know that you've been um, following a series of announcements from T-Mobile with respect to uh, standalone uh, milestones and deployments. So why don't you kind of take us through that? Yeah, so um, no surprise, uh, there's a lot of standalone announcements that are coming out now. Um, This is kind of something that I've talked about that we've expected to happen in 2020 um, because pretty much everything 2019 had to be non-standalone and we knew that there was gonna be a slow transition over to standalone, um, which basically, you know, helps separate the, the, you know, 4G from the 5G infrastructure, but also helps the 5G infrastructure adhere more closely to the standard itself and deliver on the promises of low latency and high performance, as well as, you know, network slicing and all these things that really make 5G better than 4G. So Mm -hmm. T-Mobile came out with a series of five announcements with a multitude of partners, um, basically announcing a bunch of 5G standalone first. So, um, they were able to announce the first standalone 5G session between commercial modems from two different suppliers on a production network, which included Cisco, Ericsson, MediaTek, Nokia, and Qualcomm. Um, and then they also had the first low band 
5G standalone voice call, which would have been on 600 megahertz, uh, mm -hmm. using the EPS fallback to Volte with Cisco, Ericsson, MediaTek, and Nokia. <laughs> and then um, they also announced the first low band voice over NR call, which would have also would have been on 600 megahertz, which is their current 5G network, mm -hmm. uh, or at least a component of it, yeah. um, which included Cisco, Ericsson, MediaTek, and Nokia. And then they also announced the first video over NR, which is 5G, uh, on a production network with Cisco, Ericsson, Nokia, and Qualcomm, um, which is called Viner. Um, mm -hmm. That's a new one. That's a new one. Yeah. Um, and then uh, they also announced several 5G firsts with commercial uh, smartphones on a production network um, using the first low-band standalone 5G network uh, for data session, uh, as well as the first call with EPS fallback and first Voner and Viner calls, which included Cisco, Ericsson, Nokia, OnePlus, and Qualcomm. Do you feel so like this gives them an advantage, you know, over, over their competitors? Um, well, I, so here's the thing. T-Mobile kind of has a reputation of being among the first in the U.S. to implement the 3GPP standards. So, like, they've always been very aggressive on implementing the latest standards and implementing the latest features in their network. Mm -hmm. um, so this doesn't surprise me at all. I kind of would have expected T-Mobile to be the first, although I thought AT&T could have been before them. But it seems like T-Mobile was already planning. I mean, they were all were planning for standalone, but sure. they were telling me about their plans for standalone back in December. Mm -hmm. um, so th they've clearly been already, like as they were rolling out their 5G non-standalone network, they were basically already rolling out their standalone as well. And they were kind of just, you know, doing them in parallel um, and planning for the, the switch over. So I, I think it's going to give them an advantage in, in the sense that um, they're going to be able to deliver services that utilize, you know, SA features more quickly than their competitors. And they're going to be able to do it with, you know, their 2.5 gigahertz, their, their, their millimeter wave and their sub six. So they're kind of, they, they have all this um, different spectrum that, um, is going to give them the ability to, to deliver different types of services at different spectrum using SA, which is really the whole, you know, the holy grail, which is, you know, yeah. the customer is unaware of what spectrum they're on because they don't care. They don't care. They just want the performance. They, they yeah. just want to get the performance and the experience that they need. And it's a lot harder to, to QA that experience and put them on the right spectrum for the experience that they need to be on if you don't have SA, especially with low latency. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know John Legere, you know, when he was the CEO, he was really beating the drum around real 5G, right? And he's since moved on and, you know, Mike Sievert now is, uh, is the new CEO. And I expect that, uh, that drum to continue to be beat um, into, the, yeah. into the future. I mean, everybody sure. at T-Mobile is very um, technical focused on, you know, what their, their features are on their network and, you know, their, their network gurus. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. Well, great. Hey, that was, that was great insight. Why don't you take us home, Angel? We're, we're wrapping up. All right. So um, we hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. Uh, if anyone out there has any other topics they'd like us to cover, um, please feel free to reach us out, reach out to us on a, uh, for a future podcast. Um, please also feel free to reach out to us on social media. Uh, Will is at Will Town Tech and I'm at Anshel Sog. Um, we hope you have a great weekend and please tune in with us again.